turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Hold your thumb there and turn to Acts chapter 19. Ephesians 5 and then Acts chapter 19. My watch is in the shop. True story. And so I told Melanie this morning, my wife, I said, you know, I uh, always use my watch to know what time it is. And she said, well, you may should warn them before you start. So we could get out at 9, it could be 10, I, I don't really know. I don't have a watch, so we'll finish when we're done. Amen? And nobody said amen. Just kidding. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. We are going to talk about one verse today in Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, hopefully you'll come back tonight, and tonight we're going to dig into the rest of chapter 5. Um, I you know, wanted to put it all together through verse 21, but for time's sake, it's impossible. Uh, so we're, gonna, we're going to only talk about verse 1 this morning, and then tonight, again, uh, come back tonight, we're going to talk about exposed. Exposed will be the topic tonight. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children, be imitators of God as beloved children. Let's uh, ask the Lord to bless our time today. God, we come to you this morning, and uh, Lord, we open your word. God, the only way that we, uh, God, know you more, God, the only way that we learn who you are, we learn your character, we learn your nature, is through your word. And so, God, today we are so grateful for the preservation of, of these thousands of years it's been that we still have your word. God, I pray uh, for our time this morning. Thank you for Paul. Lord, thank you for the church at Ephesus. And uh, God, they weren't a perfect church. God, Paul was not a perfect man. But God, you used them. And Lord, we pray this morning that that would be the same exact thing that you do with us. God, we don't stand today proclaiming perfection. But God, we want to be used by you. And Lord, we know that when the name of Jesus is lifted high, that people will gravitate towards that. And so Lord, I pray that this morning that you will reveal to us the character and nature of our own hearts. And God, you'll challenge us with a clear picture of who Jesus is and that we should be the same. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, you know, growing up, you wanted to be like someone. Can you think of any characters or maybe superheroes that you grew up wanting to be like? I, I can remember growing up wanting to be like different people, and maybe it was a superhero uh, when you were young. I know when I was young, I, of course, it's a lot easier to see now that I don't have hair blocking, but I was often poked fun at because I have slightly larger than normal ears. And so it was always my dream that I could fly. And uh, that never happened, in case you're wondering, and so I was never able to fly. But that didn't prevent me from having dreams of flying, of getting up on the roof of the house and thinking that one day I could just lift off into the air like the birds of the sky. Uh, and so what I settled for is to fly in basketball. If you're, uh, if you're any type of a sports fan, even if you're not, you've probably heard the name Michael Jordan before, right? You've heard that name, and Michael Jordan could fly. 
And uh, so there was a, a, a promotion uh, with Wheaties back in the 90s, and it was Like Mike. And they had songs, If I Could Be Like Mike. And, and so they had videos, and you know, I had the Wheaties boxes, and I told you the story about the Michael Jordan cards. I was a Michael Jordan fanatic, and I wanted to be like Mike. And so I have, I literally have hundreds still of Michael Jordan basketball cards. And on one of those cards, there is a a very close-up shot of Michael Jordan holding the basketball, and it has his form and how his left hand is on the ball and and how his right hand is on the ball. And I study that to the T. I know exactly how he holds the basketball. As a matter of fact, I went so far as to taking a video camera. Now, back in the day, a video camera was about the size of this guitar case. And so I was holding the, I would set the video camera up on a ladder out in the backyard and I would video myself playing basketball by myself. And then I would come in and I would watch the video on a VHS and then I would, I would look at the pictures of Michael Jordan and I would watch the videos of Michael Jordan and I would, I would correct where I was mistaken or where I didn't do exactly what Michael Jordan did. I remember the 1992 Dream Team where they dominated everybody in basketball. And I had the shirt. I mean, I could go on and on. I wanted to be like Mike. <clears throat> and the way that I figured that I could do that was to do exactly what he did. I remember reading about the drills that Michael Jordan uh, did. I remember studying why Michael Jordan was number 23. He was because his brother Larry Jordan was number 45, and he thought he was half as good as his brother. And so I remember reading all of that and 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 wanting to be just like Mike. Spike Lee made a video about Michael Jordan, and I remember watching it over and over and over. And you may say, well, you're really spending a lot of time doing that. Well, I'm not any different than you are. You all have somebody or something in your life that you want to emulate. You want to be just like that thing or that person. You know, a big thing today with worship leaders is they, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, James, they all have beards, they all have shaved side head, hair on the top, and they wear skinny jeans. It just happens. So, Corey, if you ever come up here with skinny jeans, I'm out. I'm out. Hey, speaking of Corey, what a blessing Corey is. I mean, I don't know if you know what you have, but Corey, thank you for what you've done, and you've blessed my heart and uh, how you've led, and he is talented. He is talented. And so you, y'all uh, should be very grateful for that. And so, you know, we all want to be like somebody. And so Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus here. And, and his description of the new life in chapter 4, what we talked about last week, he gives all the do's and don'ts. And the title in your Bible in chapter 4 in the latter part, it says the new life. And, and Paul talks about putting on this new life. And last week, we talked about that. And, and we talked about a change of direction, this new life that Paul talks about. It, it will require things. It will require you to put away certain things. It will require you to change your mindset. Remember, we talked about all of that last week. And so as Paul transitions then into chapter 5, he says, Therefore, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So as you think about imitation, as Corey said, you know, when you think about imitating somebody, you, you have to know them. You, you have to know about them. You have to know what their mannerisms are. You have to know what their likes or their characteristics are. Like I said with, with the whole Michael Jordan thing, I, you know, I wanted to know how he held the basketball. I, I remember laying in bed at night with the basketball in my hand and, and practicing the shot. 
And so you know things about them that are very, very specific. Maybe another story that you can relate better to was in the 1990s. Do you remember the fad or the movement of WWJD? Remember that? What would Jesus do? And it was a big fad, and maybe you had the bracelet. I know I did. And it was a big movement that they had was wear the bracelet with WWJD on it, and then when people ask you, well, what does that stand for? It is not what would James do. It's what would Jesus do, right? And so it was always a question that you would have on top of your mind is when you were in a situation, you would ask, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? And, and that dates all the way back to the late 1800s. Uh, Charles Sheldon was actually the first person to come up with that. He wrote a series of messages. So if you're ever on Jeopardy, Charles Sheldon created that. But do you know the Bible says that you and I were all created to imitate someone? God. Every one of us were created to imitate God. All the way back in the very beginning, these scriptures will come up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. The Bible says this, God said, let us make man in our image in our own likeness or after our own likeness. You and I were created to look just like God. Now, I know a lot of times, matter of fact, most of the time, we don't feel that way. We don't feel like we, we were created to look like God, especially when we look at other people. You know, one of the things I often have to remind myself is that they were created in the image of God. And they could be the person who cuts you off in traffic. They could be the person who uh, offends you or talks about you or does something offensive to you. Everyone else around you was created in the image of God. We, we often lose sight of that even when it comes to, to people around the globe that do horrific things. And we say, well, how in the world can they be created in the image of God? Well, Ephesians, we just studied this in chapter 4. Paul puts it this way. He says in verse 24, to put on the new self, which was created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so this new person, this new creation that... 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about this new person that, that God is, uh, Paul is speaking about here. It, it is after the likeness of God. And so I want to ask you this morning, when you look at yourself in the mirror, when you think about yourself, do you see yourself that way? I mean, think about it. Non-spiritually speaking, when you look in the mirror or you think about your life right now, is it, is it where you want to be? I mean, is your life look, reflect, is it an example of exactly where you thought you'd be 5, 10, 15, 25 years ago? I mean, are you doing the things that you, you wanted to do? I remember growing up, I wanted to play professional sports. I wanted to be a basketball player or a professional baseball player. And so if I could rewrite the script of Matt, I would play professional sports. And so all of us have these ideas in our mind of, of where we want it to be. And it even comes down to even our, our image, a, a perception or the visibility of who we are. I mean, you know, ladies more than men probably, but when we look in the mirror, we say, man, you know, I need to work out or, you know, my hair looks amazing. We were on the way to church here this morning and we heard uh, a picture snap in the back seat and we said, uh-oh, today's selfie Sunday. Natalie's got her camera back there, and I said, yep, you only take a picture of yourself if you think you look good, right? And so you, you snap a photo because you think, oh, yeah, I, my hair looks amazing today. That's what I said this morning. It's okay, you can laugh. And so we look at ourselves in the mirror, and we say, well, is this who God created me to be? Is this the image 
that God created me to be in. Well, what happened, and the reason that you and I don't see ourselves the way that God created us to be is this one little three-letter word called sin. And what sin did and what sin does in your life and what sin does in my life is it tarnishes that image. Sin separates you and I from the image that God created us to be. And so what happens in our life is we begin to lose sight of what the image was supposed to look like. You know, you see things in your life that are amazing and uh, you, you see, maybe you went to a, a, a wonder of the world. Maybe you saw, <clears throat> excuse me, a beautiful landscape. Maybe you remember a, a loved one that has since passed. And, and in your mind, that image is forever burned of, of the last time you, you uh, saw them smile or, or maybe the last sunrise that you saw on, on vacation or whatever the, the image may be in your mind. But the further away time gets... From that point in history, the less you remember it. And that's what's happened with the image of God in your life and in my life. Is that we, we have come so far from what God created us to be in time. You know, we're, we're several thousand years away from Adam and Eve. And so ask yourself this question. Now we could talk for hours about this, but ask yourself this question. Did what happened on Fox News Friday morning reflect the image of what Adam and Eve were created in? Of course not. See how far we have come from that image? And, and we, we have accepted the change and we've allowed the change. And again, we could talk hours about this. But there is an image that God created you and I to be in. And it is not the image of man. It, uh, it is not the image of America. It is not the image of, you know, like Corey said, there's people that will fail you, things will fail you. It is in the image of God. And so this is what Paul says in Romans 8.29. You see, when, when uh, we trust Christ as our Savior, so when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, what happens to you is that tarnished image, that that uh, the damaged uh, parts of you began to be repaired. And God begins to redeem you through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul puts it this way in Romans 8.29. He says, those He foreknew, God, He foreknew before the foundations of the world, He knew you. The Bible says He knew you when you were in your womb. He knew you. Those He foreknew, He also predestined. So in other words, He had a plan for your life. Before you were born, God said, here is the image that I want Matt to be born. And here's the accomplishments in which I want to, him to accomplish. And here's the ways that I want him to accomplish those things. And the same things were said about you in conversation with God. And He says, I am going to create, and you fill your name in the blank. And He says, I know him and I know her. I created him and I created her. And I have a desire, I am predestining, predestination always uh, is for a purpose. And I am predestining for the image of Christ, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, think of what this means. Romans chapter 5 says you and I are born with the nature of sin. We've talked about this before as we've talked about this created masterpiece series. And God created you to be just like Jesus. But, there's a small problem. We were all born with this dirty sin nature. 
And because of that sin nature, we sin and we make mistakes and we're selfish and we do things for our own accomplishments and desires instead of for the desires and accomplishments of the kingdom of God. And as that image is tarnished in your life and the sin which you participate, we're all sinners, and the sin in which you participate has tarnished the image that God created for you to be. And so what God says is, well, I'm going to send my son Jesus and I'm going to redeem mankind. And that process after the cross is conformity. That's what sanctification is. is me and you being conformed to the image of Christ. And so Paul says, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so what does that have to do with Ephesus? Well, remember, as we we began this series, we talked about the temple of Artemis. Remember, I talked about the eighth wonder of the world. And it was this giant, giant temple that took over 200 years for them to build. Now remember, let's, let's begin with where we're at. We'll get to application in a minute. But Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, okay? And so we are on the outside, we're looking in to this letter that Paul wrote to these people, and we're trying to understand why he wrote these things. And so Paul says, you were created to be an imitator of Christ. And so the the, the Ephesians, they had this great temple, Artemis, it was amazing. It was a, a wonder of the world. And what they had done with the temple of Artemis, again, it took over a couple hundred years to build. And so the people who started building it had died. And the people who finished building it didn't see anybody start building it. And so therefore, they believed that it had fallen from the sky, that God had just dropped it out of the sky for their pleasure. And so they began to deify (coughs) or to magnify this temple. And they began to worship this temple. As a matter of fact, uh, you can study Greek mythology. They began to worship Artemis, who was the Greek goddess of fertility. We'll talk about this tonight. Well, the Romans had their version of the fertility goddess, and her name was Diana. And so the Romans would go there to worship Diana, and the Greeks would go there to worship Artemis. And and there was this great worship of somebody, and let's just summarize it to say this, that was not God. They were worshiping someone who was not God. And so what they began to do to, to the, the, the enemy to get his claws into this worship of not God is he tied it to what? To money. He tied it to money. They began to store their money in the temple of Artemis because nobody will touch Artemis. Everybody's afraid that Artemis will do something to them. And so what they did is they said, well, let's put our money at Artemis. And so we'll, we'll, we'll store all of our money there. It'll be our bank. And that way, it'll make, we'll make sure that it is safe. And so what became their worship of Artemis then became their God of money. And they began to serve money. And they wanted to, to do everything that Artemis did because they thought that it brought them uh, money or success, which is why we'll see in verses 3 and following, Paul says some of the things that he did. And so when Paul came on the scene to Ephesus, which is where we're going to be here in just a second, in Acts 19, Paul came on the scene. There's all these people in Artemis who are are making images. And they're creating these golden images of Artemis. And they're selling them. And they're making lots of money. We're going to see that in just a second. They're making a ton of money. They're profiting off of idol worship. And so Paul comes on the scene. And he talks about this man, Jesus. You'll read in the latter part uh, in Acts uh, chapter 18. 
you see in uh, verse 24 that Apollos came to Ephesus and he began to speak boldly about Jesus Christ. And so then in verse nine, or in chapter 19, then here comes Paul on the scene. And so here's this new movement of these people that are preaching Christ. As a matter of fact, the last verse in chapter 18 says, For he powerfully, which is Apollos, uh, refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So Apollos is saying, this Jesus that hung on the cross, that rose from the dead, he's the Son of God. And so Paul shows up in Ephesus, and he's continuing this ministry. Okay? So this is amazing here. And so Paul is continuing this ministry uh, that he started and Apollos helped to, uh, to, to, to uh, further along. And so here's this new thing, this new thing that they are, they're worshiping, they think, called Jesus. And they say, hey, have you heard about this Jesus thing? This is amazing. Look at all these people that are following. They called it the way. Look at all these people that are following the way. And so in, in chapter 19, Paul comes into town and it says in verse 8 that he entered the synagogue. Acts chapter 19, verse 8 is where I'm at. He entered the synagogue and for three months, Paul spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. It says, but when someone became uh, stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, remember I said that before, he withdrew and he went away. Verse 10 says, he, uh, this continued for two years. So Paul preached for two years and it says that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, uh, commercial here. Can that be said about Bay St. Louis? Can that be said about Bay St. Louis? That all of Bay St. Louis had heard the word of the Lord. Is that what, what you're doing? Is that what the mission of the church? James and I were talking before service. What is the mission of the church? The buy-in for you and for me as a body of Christ, a local congregation, is what is being accomplished for the kingdom of God. Is the buy-in that we are reaching Bay St. Louis, that all of Bay St. Louis hears the word of God. God did not put you here in this location, in an amazing location in Bay St. Louis, for you to draw all people to you. But what Jesus did is he went out to the people. The Bible says in Mark that he compelled them to go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. And so your ministry as a church that is planted on Main Street is not to sit and sour and to pull people into the congregation, but it is for you to take the gospel outside of these walls to those who have never heard the gospel. So that, as Paul said, all those that are in Asia, Bay St. Louis, will hear the word of the Lord. And so all of the words spread out. And so in verse 11, it says, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Verse 13, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook the, uh, to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you, or I, I command you by Jesus, by the Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them and says, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the, was the evil spirit leaped on them, the seven sons of Sceva, and he mastered all of them, one man versus seven, and he overpowered them, one versus seven, so that they all fled out of the house naked and wounded. What a sight that must have been. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. 
And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, or it was exalted. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. Verse 19, And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So what just happened? Paul came into the city preaching the way that Christ is the Son of the living God. And so the Jewish exorcists, when people would have uh, demonic spirits in them, these itinerant, which means they would go around and do that, these Jewish itinerant exorcists came in and they said, well, this Jesus thing's really catching on. And I've, I've heard about all these miraculous things that Paul is doing by the power of Jesus and, and all these miraculous things that, that Peter and the disciples are doing in the name of Jesus. And they said, you know what we should do is we should start doing things in the name of Jesus. So what they did is, is in name only, they began to proclaim the name of Jesus. There was no internal change. There was no um, uh, Damascus Road experience. They just began to say, okay, well, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims, I command you to come out. And so they were trying to to exercise the demon, so to speak. So what happens? Well, the evil spirit says, well, Jesus I know. What does he say exactly here? Jesus I know. Paul I recognize. But who are you? You. Now, I would love to talk a lot about that. But he says, Jesus I know. James 2.19, the demons in hell believe and yet tremble. Jesus I know. Paul I recognize. Who are you? Here's these sons of Sceva pretending to have a relationship with Jesus and using the name of Jesus for personal gain. Now, surely there's no one who would do that. Surely no one would imitate Jesus for their personal gain. You see, what that's known as is an imposter. They were attempting to imitate someone. Listen to this. They were attempting to imitate someone which they had no experiential knowledge of. They had no experiential knowledge knowledge of. They were talking about this Jesus whom they did not even know. This is called an imposter. I looked it up the definition. An imposter is a person who pretends to be someone else in order to deceive others, especially for fraudulent gain. I wonder if there are any imposters in our churches today. You see, Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 says this, I talked about this last week. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, which is judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many wonderful works in your name? The sons of Sceva will stand before God one day and they will say that because that's exactly what they did. And then the Bible says in verse 23 that God will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So here's the sons of Sceva pretending to know Jesus. They're pretending to have this relationship that the power of God comes through them. And So the city was in an uproar. 
All these people renounced the temple of Artemis. They renounced idol worship. They were no longer going down to the local Artemis shop and getting their little golden idol to sit on their mantle. Well, guess who got mad about that? The people who made those idols. And so they all got together and said, hey, we can't have this happen, guys. We can't have this happen. And so the city got in this big uproar. You can read on in uh, verses 21, there was a riot, and uh, it goes all the way through verse 40. And so all of these things began to happen. And so when Paul is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, guess what they remember? All of these things that had happened. And he says, listen guys, you need to be imitators of Jesus. You don't need to try to be like the sons of Sceva. You don't need to try to be like the temple of Artemis. Listen, that worship is in vain. He says you need to imitate Jesus. And so I want to leave you real quick this morning. What does it mean then to imitate Jesus? How do you do that? How do we imitate Jesus? So as any good Baptist pastor would, I'm going to give you three things this morning, okay? The first thing is imitating Christ always involves the extraordinary. This is good. Imitating Christ always involves the extraordinary. Look what happened in in verse 11 of chapter 19 in Acts. He says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Extraordinary acts were being done by Paul. Why? Because he was imitating Christ. When we live for Christ, God does things that are beyond our abilities. When we imitate Christ, God does things that are beyond our abilities. You say, well, I want to do something for the kingdom of God. Well, God does those things in which He gets the glory for. So think about it this way. In other words, if it can be done by man, it probably was. If it can be done by man, it probably was. If you say, well, we want to raise X dollars for missions or, or we want to baptize X people, you know, 25 people this year or 100 people, whatever the number is, if, you, if it can be accomplished by man, then it probably was accomplished by man. And so many churches, so many churches set these small goals, these man-centered, man-accomplished goals, and nothing great ever happens for the kingdom of God in their midst. And it's because they're doing it based upon their own ability instead of the extraordinary abilities of God. I want to be a church that stands on the brink of faith. I want to be a part of a church that stands with the flagship of Jesus and saying, I have no idea where the next step is coming from, but I know who I'm following. Extraordinary acts. Those are the things that God is involved in. And so in your life, if you say, well, God never does anything in my life, could it be that you're operating in the ability of yourself instead of on the ability of faith? Faith is the things. Uh, it is the evidence of things hoped for, uh, the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is what faith is. But so many of us operate in the realm of safe and okay, and if I can see it and understand it, then that's what God wants me to do. And I can tell you from personal experience that most often times when God calls you to do something, it is far beyond your ability. It can be done by man, it probably was. You see, you and I cannot imitate Christ on our own. So if you leave this morning thinking, oh, you know, Pastor Matt is right. I need to imitate Jesus more. And so I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. No, that is not the answer. In and of yourself, you cannot do it. I cannot 
do it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, this will come up. For our sake, God made him who is Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, which is Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. You do not become the righteousness of God on your own. You become the righteousness of God because of God imputing or giving you righteousness through His Son. So imitating Christ always involves the extraordinary. I mean, think about it. When we see ourselves as the sinners that we are, why would God use someone like me? Think about it. You, in every area of your life, you want the best. You want the best car. You want the best house. You want the best contractor. You want the best everything in your life. You want it what works and, and the one that has the best ability. And, and remember when you played kickball when you were in elementary school and you were picking teams and you wanted the kid that could kick it over the building. You want the best in your life. And so when we relate that to God, we have to see it from the kingdom perspective, not from man's perspective. Because if we were God and we were picking the best, none of us would be chosen. So imitating Christ always involves the extraordinary. Number two, imitating Christ starts with the simple things. It starts with the simple things. For those who are pretending, who are imposters, look what happened. They ran away naked and wounded. They were imitating Christ, but they were faking it. They were fakers. And so the price that they paid to imitate Christ from a human perspective is that they were beat up, they were injured, their clothes were stolen, and they ran away embarrassed and ashamed. They couldn't keep up the lie. Well, the price that the unbeliever will pay at the end of eternity, or at eternity rather, is eternal separation from God. But how about for the believer? Well, this is amazing. Look in Acts chapter 19, verse 20. This is what it says. It says, They counted the value of those who gave their possessions and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000. You know how many years work that took? 137. 137 years worth of salary they gave. They counted the value, and they gave 137 years' worth. Isn't that amazing? You see, when we talk about the simple things in life, Paul, Paul talks about it in Acts 19.12. He says this, he says that even the handkerchief or the aprons that had touched his skin were carried away. God is using the very simple things in the life of Paul and it all started with handkerchiefs and aprons. And it, it, it resulted in 137 years of wages. I wonder what's simple in your life that, that God can take and do something extraordinary with it. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll see tonight in verse 2, he begins, the very next uh, verse in chapter 2 talks about, he says, and walk. He doesn't say run or cartwheel or somersault. He says to walk. Something simple, something very basic. What is the first thing that you learn as a child? What's the, the number one pinnacle thing in a child's life? Their first step. You video it, you tell everybody about it, you want to be there for the, the first step. Simple, small. Imitating Christ always starts with simple things. And the last thing that I mentioned earlier 
is that imitating Christ often comes at a price. Imitating Christ often comes at a price. I mentioned they ran away naked and wounded. They couldn't keep up with the lie. But in Acts 19, for those who were believers, the price that was paid was 137 years worth of wages. And so for those who were true to the way, guess what happened? Well, you read the rest of the chapter when you get home. They almost lost their life because of the riot in Ephesus. And so I want to leave you with this this morning. Don't settle in your life for what is counterfeit. Many, many people, maybe you, hopefully not, but many, many people today are pursuing an imitation of the real thing. And what's going to happen in their life is they're going to get to the end of their life, and again, I hope it is not you. You're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to realize that you've been imitating a counterfeit. Listen, God's not calling you to, 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 to follow tradition. He's not saying to conform to the image of Bay St. Louis. Who cares what the image of Bay St. Louis is? He's calling you to be conformed to the image of Christ. So don't settle for some counterfeit version of who Jesus is. Don't let the culture define your theology. But define your theology by the gospel of what Jesus said and who Jesus is. Strive to be who Jesus created you to be. Don't settle for counterfeit. Max Locato wrote a book. If you haven't read it, you should go out and buy it today. It's called Just Like Jesus, an amazing book. And this is what he says. He says, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He desires that you be just like Jesus. Let me say that again. God loves you just the way you are. But He refuses to leave you that way. In all of your sin and unrighteousness and failures and dirtiness, God loves you just like that. But He refuses to leave you like that. He desires that you and I look just like Jesus. And so may your prayer this morning, may my prayer be this morning, Psalms 17, 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. And when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Will that be said about your life? When all said and done, will people say, He wanted to be like Jesus. He wasn't satisfied with anything else but the likeness of of Christ. Listen, there's a lot of things you can try to be like. There's a lot of people you can try to uh, manipulate or conform your life like. And it may bring you temporary satisfaction. And it may even bring you temporary success. But it will not bring you eternal salvation. God's calling you and me, Paul commands you and me, to be imitators of Christ. Pray with me.